Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text for today from the 13th chapter of St. Matthew, these words, he, Jesus put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And so when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. Last Sunday we were talking about planting seeds, and this Sunday we find ourselves talking about pulling weeds. They go together, don't they? I don't know about you, but from my youngest of days, I'd much rather be planting seeds than pulling weeds. I'd much rather be at the planting end of things than at the pulling end of things, and I don't enjoy pulling weeds, I don't enjoy cutting weeds, perhaps it's because immediately after I graduated from high school a bit more than four decades ago, I spent the good part of June, July, and the first part of August making some fairly good money at the time, getting prepared to go to college. At that time, it was over $7 an hour, which at that time was a lot of money. $7 an hour, a hometown job, which no one else seemed to want, though. But it was $7 an hour. Because of that, it was hard to pass up, and after I started working at it, it didn't take long to find out why there wasn't much competition for the work. Because you see, with sickle in hand, I and another college-bound buddy of mine would go out into the early morning hours of this thick forest of weeds and brush, five, six, even seven feet tall, that had been growing around for years around these large natural gas tanks outside of Clearbrook, Minnesota. And we'd have to, with sickle in hand, cut these weeds and then drag them over a distance and pile them up. It was a tinder bed for fire, which were growing far too close to the tanks that were all filled, huge tanks filled with natural gas coming from Canada. Not a good situation. My friend and I were hired to cut it down, to haul it off, to pile it up, and ever since that summer of 66, I found planting weeds much seeds much more to my liking than pulling weeds. And I think that's probably true of most of you as gardeners. You'd take the latter rather than the former if you had your option. Contending with weeds, especially pulling them out of a garden, is physically hard work. They're stubborn. They've got to be pulled often. And you have to know what you're doing when you're pulling weeds. You just can't go randomly pulling up everything green in your garden. Gardeners have to be discriminating people lest they pull out the good seeds or the young sprouted plants with the weeds. You, you, you can't be like whoever it was that said, when weeding, the best way to make sure that you're removing a weed and not a valuable plant is to pull on it. If it comes out of the ground easily, it's a valuable plant. It's not the way to do it. Or worse yet, consider this advice. To distinguish flowers from weeds, simply pull up everything. What grows back is weeds. Not good gardening either. Jesus in the Gospel, according to St. Matthew today, tells a parable, and he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who's sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone is sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds 
among the wheat and went away, and when they sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. How did those weeds get there? The owner's servants asked, to which the owner responded, well, the enemy did this. The enemy who came while everyone was sleeping. Don't for a moment think that the enemy hasn't planted weeds among you. He most certainly has planted weeds around us, even as the Lord Jesus said that he would do. You may not have seen it happen, but that's the nature of these sorts of things. It's the nature of the wicked weed seeder among us. So often he does his turning of the soil, and he does his planting of his weeds in the silence and the shadows of the dark, so that it's not so easily detectable undercover, as it were, hidden, hidden perhaps in this simple idea over here that we're asked to entertain, embedded perhaps in that seemingly intelligent ideology over here that we're asked to adopt, or that sophisticated philosophy that's taught in one way or the other, in that notion, for example, that all religions are good, or in the atheistic notion, that all religions are evil or that all religions worship the same God but just call them by different names or in the notion that there are many gods a notion which our Lord certainly speaks to in the Old Testament lesson today as we heard him where he said I am the first and I am the last and beside me there is no God and yet the enemy whom Jesus clearly in our text for today identifies as the devil, establishes the weeds, weeds taking the form perhaps of esoteric cults of our time, like Madonna's newfound fascination with Kabbalism, which you've probably heard a lot about in the news lately, or Hollywood's flirtation with Scientology, which you've heard a lot about in the news over the course of the years or the tenets of the Dalai Lama, or the defiant notions of a radical feminist sect in San Francisco, which somehow calls itself Lutheran and Christian, but then sings to the great evening hymn, Talas Kanan, these heretical words, quote, we praise our God of many names, our great creatress we proclaim, our mother goddess, friend and guide walks with us always at our side. The weeds planted among the seeds, Jesus says. Weeds also identified as the impenitent practitioners of various immoralities of every age. The unnatural things, the extramarital things, which were once considered to be morally reprehensible but now are socially acceptable in society. Those things what censored, which are now promoted as morally acceptable, as alternative lifestyles sanctioned by our educational systems at times, protected by law, weeds encroaching upon even the longest standing institution of society itself, marriage, to redefine it so that what was once recognized as weeds now might be called seeds. And we just scratched the surface of what evil has sown in our fallen world. Don't think for a moment, not for a moment, that the enemy hasn't been busy, that he hasn't been busy 
making his weeds indistinguishable in so many ways from God's seeds. In so many ways, he's twisting the roots of the weeds right around the seeds, and so they can't be distinguished one from the other. Good seeds, the children of the kingdom, Jesus says, planted in the field of the world with weeds, the sons of the evil one growing all around. He who is not for me, Jesus says, is against me. That's the way it is. You can wish it differently, but that's the way it is. That's what Jesus says it is, and thus it's that way. And that's the way it will be in this fallen world, Jesus says, until the end of time. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. In this world, he says, you're going to be a persecuted people because that's the way it will be until finally he comes to end it all. Dangerous indeed, it's dangerous. Dangerous in good part because the seeds and the weeds so often look so much alike. Seeds and the weeds often look very much like each other. It might be fairly easy to distinguish the far out fringes of the weed kingdom, but there are far more in the weed kingdom who be, may be very morally upright, might be morally upright and look a lot more like seeds than the weeds that they really are. Hard to distinguish. In fact, it's interesting that the weed of which our Lord spoke was actually called in the parable today, when he said the weeds were growing among the seeds, the, the, the weed that he spoke about was actually called a zizania. It was a noxious darnel, or a rye plant, which was potentially poisonous if it was ingested, but you couldn't tell very easily what it was. The first shoots of the darnel plant that would grow up out of the ground resembled that of wheat, looked so much like wheat that you couldn't distinguish one from the other. It looked just like it, just as healthy, just as desirable, just as essential and necessary for bread making and life sustaining as wheat would be, and that's what people would often do is confuse the two. That's what made it so dangerous. They were nearly indistinguishable from one another. And so dangerous, in fact, that if you look at Roman law books, back in that very time and era, it indicates very clearly that it was considered a criminal offense to sow Darnell next to wheat. A criminal act to sow Darnell next to wheat. Why? Because it's what you would do only to your enemy. Enemies who, thinking it to be wheat, would then eat it, ingest it, and gradually be poisoned by it, and eventually die because of it. Such was the nature of the weed of which our Lord speaks in the parable for today, the weed of the enemy. And such is the nature of the weeds of our enemy, sons of the evil one that are planted around us, Jesus said, it's not always so easy for the human eye to discern which is which. Why? Because sometimes the weeds lead as morally upright a life as you would think the seeds would lead. And sometimes it happens that, indeed always it happens, that we seeds are sinners like the weeds and our lives don't reflect what they should because we are simultaneously God's righteous saints and his sinners through faith in Christ. Sometimes our lives appear to the outsider to be quite weedy too. Weeds and seeds growing dangerously together, looking all too much alike. Is it any wonder then that the servants of the master in today's parable say, well, what then would you have us do? Would you have us go out and gather these seeds, these weeds up? 
Try to separate them from the seeds and then bind them and, and throw them into the fire? And the master replies, no, don't do that. Don't do that because in uprooting the weeds, you may well uproot the good seed along with it. They'll just have to grow together, side by side, until the end of time. And then I'll do the separating. And I'll do what has to be done. You see, when it comes to living in the world, the place of the church living in the world is not to be out there uprooting the weeds of society. That's not our function. That's not our calling. We must indeed speak clearly to the civil and to the moral issues of our day. We must inform and warn one another regarding the evils of our times so that we can then engage individually in the political process by which the laws that govern us and the social ethics that guide us are determined by the people and for the people of our land. That alone is the church's place. But as we do that, the weeds of the world and the seeds of the kingdom are going to grow side by side, as our Lord Jesus said they would, until he returns again. And the tensions and the dangers and the inequities and the persecutions that accompany that side-by-side -side coexistence will continue for us and for our children and for their children after them. Just as it has from the day that Adam and Eve were first expelled from the Garden of Eden to the day when our Lord Jesus Christ told this parable for the first time unto that final day when he returns again to usher in the new heavens and the new earth merged together where righteousness indeed dwells side by side until that very day when, as our Lord Jesus says then, in the last verse of today's gospel, the Son of Man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of the kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Justice then and justice finally will and fully will prevail. On that day, justice will prevail. But thank God that on that day, so will mercy. Thank God and on that day, so will grace. But then Jesus says in the last words of today's gospel, then he says the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. You see, the one eternally important difference between the weeds and the seeds, which are often so much alike in their appearance, is that one word, righteous, righteousness. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And the only reason that you and I will be counted among the righteous is not because of what we've done, not by any means, but because of the righteousness that we have that really is alien to us and foreign from us. A righteousness that comes from another, a righteousness that comes from him. He who knew no sin, who became sin for us, that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ became sin for us. He took that which was foreign to himself. He took our sin, alien to him, 
And he made it his own because he was true God, perfect God, perfect man, for our sake made our sin his own, suffering on the cross. The full length and the full depth and width and the heat and the horror of all the hell that we eternally deserved. And were that not enough, he also then imputed, imputed his righteousness, which he alone possesses, upon you and upon me, placing that which was foreign to us, his righteousness, alien to us, his righteousness upon us, that it might forever be ours. And how did he do it? He did it through baptism. He did it through baptism and to his son, that his name might be written all over you, that your name might be incorporated in his, so that we might then shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. Horatius Bonar wrote about this righteousness in the communion hymn that's, that's entitled, Here, O my Lord, I see thee face to face. You're going to sing it in a few moments. In verse 5 he writes this, Mine is the sin, thine the righteousness. Mine is the guilt, but thine the cleansing blood. Here is my robe, here is my refuge and my peace, thy blood, thy righteousness, O Lord, my God. He also wrote about it well over a hundred years ago in an article that's entitled The Everlasting Righteousness. And speaking of the high priests in the Old Testament and the unique and the meaningful breastplate that God designed for high priests to wear, this is what Bonar writes. He says, in the high priest's breastplate were 12 precious stones, 12 of them, on which the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written. The names thus graven there, he says, shone with all the glory of the gems that contained them. Thus, he says, our names are written on the breastplate of the greater high priest, Jesus Christ, not only for remembrance, but also for glory. How? They are enveloped in his glory, our names, enveloped in his glory, the glory of the Son of God shining right through them, shining as if all that glory shining through them were their own. Indeed, as the Apostle Paul put it so clearly, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.